Hi, I'm Grant Wall, and welcome to the Planet Football Podcast, where I go in-depth with the most intriguing people in the world of soccer. On today's show, Seattle GM Garth Lagerwey talks about the Sounders' surprise run to this week's MLS Cup Final and how he went from a hard-partying MLS backup goalkeeper to a hard-working law student. When he go up to Georgetown for law school, that was definitely a shock to the system. And I remember, you know, my first day of law school, opening the text that I had to read and, uh, and falling asleep. Well, everything I had done was trained for 90 minutes of like really, really high level exertion. All that and my thoughts on the latest in soccer coming up. This episode of Planet Football is brought to you by Mack Weldon. Guys, whatever you're wearing now, Mack Weldon is better. Mack Weldon believes in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. Mack Weldon will be the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants that you will ever wear. I just got some Mack Weldon boxer shorts, and I can honestly say they're the best boxers I've ever worn. And Mack Weldon wants you to be comfortable, so if you don't like your first pair, you can keep it, and they will still refund you, no questions asked. They aren't just comfortable. Mack Weldon looks good and performs well, too. It's good for everyday life, going to work, going on dates, working out, recording podcasts. All their products are naturally antimicrobial, which means they eliminate odor. That's a good thing. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off using promo code PLANET. Easy shopping, great customer service, good-looking, super comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, and hoodies. MacWeldon.com, 20% off using the promo code PLANET. All right, on with the show. Take one. Here are my three thoughts for the week. First off, the soccer world had an unimaginable tragedy last week. A plane carrying the Brazilian club Chapecoense to the first leg of the Copa Sudamericana final crashed in Colombia, killing 71 people, including 19 of the club's players, 20 journalists, and many others. Nothing can bring back those lives, but some of the responses have been deeply cathartic. In Medellin, even without a game to play, Atletico Nacional fans filled the stadium and the streets outside to support those who had been lost, and the image of that moment made you feel pride in humanity. Back in Brazil, supporters groups from rival teams came together in a rare show of unity. This was an unnecessary tragedy. Preliminary investigations showed that dangerous risks were taken of running out of fuel, but the soccer world came together in its grief. Take two. Next up, the news has been quiet lately on the collective bargaining negotiations between U.S. soccer and the U.S. women's national team, whose current CBA ends December 31st. The U.S. women's fight for equal pay to the men's team is a complex one with many factors. But one of those factors is striking. Let's look at the attendance for home friendlies in 2016, now that the year is done with national team games. The U.S. women averaged 18,058 fans, nearly double the 91.75 average for the men's team. The U.S. men did not get into five figures for attendance in any of those games, while the U.S. women did get into five figures for all 16 home friendlies. There's something instructive there. The popularity of the U.S. women doesn't just happen in World Cup years. Take three. Finally, what's on my radar this week? The MLS Cup Final, Toronto and Seattle, this Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Big Fox. 
It's going to be cold north of the border, everyone knows that, but the atmosphere at BMO Field will be off the charts. The last time an MLS Cup final was played in Toronto was in 2010 as a neutral site game between Colorado and Dallas. And the vibe was so bad, with the stands less than half full at the end, that it caused MLS to do a rethink and start staging the final in the city of the finalists with a better regular season record. That was a great call. I don't get many predictions right, but I did pick Toronto to win the title before this season started, and I love the way this team has come together. Look for TFC to win this game, and look for Josie Altidore to complete a remarkable playoff scoring run. Now, my interview with Garth Lagerway. Our guest today is the general manager and president of soccer for the Seattle Sounders, who will face Toronto in the MLS Cup final on Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Big Fox. Garth Lagerway has now taken Seattle to its long-awaited first MLS final in his second year on the job after coming over from Salt Lake, which he took to the MLS championship in his third year on the job there. Before that, Garth was a goalkeeper for five MLS seasons, which included guest writing my SI.com soccer column when I was on vacation, and he did television analysis for DC United, coining the phrase, sweet creamery butter. Garth, thanks for joining the podcast. I'm glad you hit all the highlights there, Fred. Uh, it, it highlights by highlights, I, 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 it covers the whole spectrum there. Well I, I, just, I just did your tombstone for you, by the way. That, that is, that's nice. I mean, that's, that's even better in obituary, what, what I just got there. <laughs> so first <laughs> off, congratulations on getting to the MLS final. I know people in Seattle have been waiting a long time for this opportunity. Given where Seattle was at one point this season, how crazy is it that you're in the final? You know, certainly we're we're happy uh, that we are, and and you know it is uh, certainly from an outsider's perspective. I understand why it's it's crazy, and and it you know it took a lot of hard work to get to this point. You know, internally, I think like we felt like we had a good team, and we just we hadn't figured out a way to pull it all together. And then you know in the summer we added Ladero and we got Torres back, um, and uh, you know we had we got a new coach and. The mood in the locker room changed, and you know we've done I think a really excellent job through Coach Metzer of empowering our players and you know putting in front of them that we were going to go as, as far or as short a distance as they were going to carry us, uh, and that's that's resonated and those guys have taken off of it and it's a credit to our players that we've made it this far. Probably the biggest single moment of this season, you mentioned it for Seattle, was the signing of Nicolas Lodero, who has been absolutely terrific since joining the team. Signing Lodero was your baby. And you spent months getting it done. Could you lead me through the ups and downs of that process for you? Sure. I mean, it, it, it was months long. And, um, you know, we, we scouted him, and Chris Henderson was down there scouting him. Saw him first, and I, I, think, I think I was the second one down there to see him. And we talked to him on the phone and thought that, hey, there, uh, a deal was possible. Uh, it became apparent relatively quickly that we weren't going to be able to get him until summer. The spring transfer window closed, and at that time we were four, four, and one. We were a 500 team, and so we thought we could we could get to the summer, but that's not what, the way it played out. And you know, we were able to get Nico in kind of in the nick of time and 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 right the ship and and uh, and make the playoffs. But as far as the details of the transaction, I think what helped a lot was Nico coming with Uruguay to play in Copa America, and he took his wife and his and his young child. He, uh, he's got a little boy uh, with him here, and I think that they enjoyed the states and they enjoyed, you know, the games that they played and the schedule that they kept. And 
that, that gave them some context to kind of understand what they were getting into. Uh, and then I think after from that point on, it kind of felt like, hey, this 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 really could be real. And there's still a difficult negotiation with Boca Juniors that had to happen, and you know you have a number of different people within that club that you had to deal with uh, in order to try to get you know in terms of the mechanics of getting that deal accomplished. You know, but a lot of that's minutiae at this point, and you know. Fortunately, we were able to get over the finish line, and, and you know. But ultimately, the, the reason why Nico's here is because he wanted to be here. Uh, he decided to come to the MLS, and, and you know, for me, on the heels of Giovinco, it's he's probably the the second guy to come, you know, from a major major team in his prime. Uh, and I think it's a really good harbinger for MLS in general that players like Nico are coming. So, how does pursuing and signing Lodero? How does he fit into sort of your worldview of MLS and where we are and where we're heading as far as what kind of players get identified and signed for the league? Well, you know, it's not uh, rocket science to, to know that uh, there have been a number of Argentine creative midfielders that have done well. I happen to have one of them, Javi Morales, for a long time, and we all saw Lake. But certainly Valeri, Piatti, you know, the list goes on. Iguain, all the guys that uh, played in Argentina. So um, we knew that that was a good league uh, in terms of these types of players to translate into MLS. And it obviously, you know, the scouting part actually isn't the hard part uh, when you're signing these high-profile DPs. You know, everybody watches Boca Juniors. Boca Juniors is in the big competitions. It's not hard to find Nicolas Ladero, who's one of Boca's best players. What's new and what's hard is doing the deal. And, you know, that was the part that was... You know, it was fun and it was definitely a learning experience and it was, you know, it was harrowing, you know, but hopefully that means that if, if we can do this once, you know, we can replicate this, you know, certainly all over Latin America. Uh, I think Europe is going to be a little bit tougher sell still, but I mean, hopefully we can make inroads in Europe and eventually start pulling guys in their mid-20s out of, out of the European leagues as well. Now, the day before you announced the Lodero signing, Seattle fired longtime coach Ziggy Schmidt. Schmidt has said recently that he thought he deserved at least a chance to prove himself with Ladero on the team. Why didn't he get that chance? Uh, you know, we made the decision we made, and uh, I think it's worked out for the best for the club. And, you know, I think revisiting the context of that uh, doesn't do anybody really a lot of good. You know, certainly Ziggy, you know, is a Hall of Famer. Uh, he is the longest-serving coach in Sounders history. You know, he was uh, someone with whom I enjoyed working and certainly somebody who I, I hope to see uh, get a job in the future. He's a good man. So when the club fired Schmidt and signed Lodera basically the same time, one of the big takeaways was, well, this team's success is a lot on Garth Lagerway now. Have you felt that pressure? I mean, for me, Grant, I've been asked this a couple of times. The pressure was always there. I was being evaluated for the team, you know, whether the perception was that it was all my team or not. It was, you know, I'm the general manager. It all falls on me. So, you know, for me, nothing changed. You know, the team had not been performing up to what my expectations were, what, what our fans' expectations were. And, and fortunately for me and fortunately for the, the club, we've been able to, you know, to chart a new course over the second half of the season and go on a run here in the playoffs. So, you know, literally, I, I mean, I wish I had a more, something more to add to it, but it, it, I was being evaluated negatively when the team performed badly. And I'm, perhaps I'm being evaluated slightly more positively now that the team is performing better. That's the way it goes. That's, that's what this job is. Well, fill me in a little on this job because you've had the success now with both Seattle and with Salt Lake. 
part of me just wants to ask, what's the secret? What are you bringing to the table when you joined Seattle last season? What exactly are you doing to succeed in this very quirky league? You know, I come from a law firm background, you know, and, and there's a number of folks at the league office that came from the same law firm. Uh, Richard Motzman, one of the leading agents uh, in the league. Mark Abbott, who's the deputy commissioner. Ivan Gazidis, who now runs Arsenal, um, all came out of Latham and Watkins. And, you know, that was the culture that I was trained in. And um, one of the things that we learned there is, is process. Um, the way to solve complex problems is to break them up into pieces and empower people for each one of the pieces uh, and then hold them accountable for their performance with respect to those pieces uh, and have a thorough process. And a thorough process will not ensure that you reach the right outcome every time, uh, but it does uh, give you a chance to hear everyone and to understand what they think uh, and to make them part of the group and hopefully to uh, reach a thorough decision, if not always the correct one. And, you know, in, in Salt Lake, we kind of had nothing, and we just you know we changed 21 of 28 players in the first two windows, and you know just kind of started all over again. And you know I would say as a young general manager, I was I was learning on the job as to how best to apply what I knew from the from the law firm world into the soccer world. And now nine years later, I have a pretty decent idea of what I'm doing with respect to the soccer stuff. But I would still say we've we've moved into a new world at MLS in the last couple of years, where by launching these USL teams you now really have complete organizations. And what I've looked at in Seattle is I'm not building a soccer team, I'm building an organization. I'm linking the academy to the USL team, to the first team, uh, and trying to impose some, some or, or uh, impress some principles by which we can all operate collectively to become greater than the sum of the parts. And you know, those, a lot of those things are things that will take time to come to fruition. Um, but I do think you know, we're two years into our process, uh, our process of doing that. And although you may not see players coming up yet from our academy that, that were developed by this process. Certainly there was a lot of talent here to begin with. The starting point in Seattle was well ahead of the starting point in Salt Lake. And you know, when you're building on the good work of Adrian Hanauer and Ziggy Schmidt and Chris Henderson and you know, lots of talented people that were already here and Brian Schmetzer, you know, if you do some things right, it doesn't take that much to tip it forward. So that's what we've been trying to do. So when you took the job last year in Seattle, I'm just wondering about how you divided your time on what tasks are, is there anything that would surprise the public about how much time you devoted to certain things I, you know i don't think so i think at first uh you know it was the first year of the usl team so you know it just needed like any you know startup completely new entity it needed a lot of time and attention just to get launched and get off the ground i was able to go to uh, ownership and uh, and they were willing to double the funding for the academy um, so that was toward the end of the first year, and, and so we've tried to push a lot more resources into player development in general. Uh, and again, I think a lot of that will actually take more time to come to fruition. Oleg Anderson's the only person that we've signed from S2 so far. Academy signing, obviously Jordan Morris is an academy, academy signing, but uh, to be fair, he predates me. You know, that's, that's Adrian and Ziggy's good work in terms of Chris Henderson's to, to have him in the fold. So, you know, you have things like that, you know, and then, you know, you had the pursuit of players. And, and you know, I think the one thing that happened uh, this summer was that I, you know, really kind of put my foot down and said, I'm, you know, I'm going to be the final say and, and I'm going to sign the players. And uh, certainly it was a collaborative effort before. It's a collaborative effort now. But, you know, I really felt like uh, in the case of Ladero, that was the type of player around which we needed to build. And so I was willing to wait for him. And, and you know, I think so far uh, it's been a pretty good fit. It certainly appears like it. How would, 
do you get an idea of who might settle well into MLS because it's such a different league? How do you figure that out? How, what do you say to them to help them settle? There's a couple of things. I mean, one is don't reinvent the wheel. Look at the player profiles of guys that have succeeded before for other teams, or, you know, in, in my case, from, for the teams that I've run before. Uh, and if you can find something close to that, then you probably have a decent chance of success. You know, I would say in general, the, and you got to be careful always generalizing, but I mean, Uruguayan players that I've scouted in general are really tough and really competitive and, you know, play all over the world. So there's some evidence that they're going to you know, do a pretty good job of adjusting to different cultures. Uh, Nico's case, he played in Europe, uh, played for Ajax, so he'd been exposed to European uh, methods of training as well as South American ones. Uh, it also meant that he spoke some English. Stuff like that is helpful to a transition. Uh, I also think guys with families have a little bit easier time in general. Oftentimes those guys, or I shouldn't say oftentimes, but some of the time those guys are coming uh, for the American dream, uh, for the idea that uh, America is a, is a better place to live than maybe where they're from, and then maybe they want to stay long-term in a place. And you know, so you, you have a combination of things that I think you can quantify pretty readily, you know, and they're by no means state secrets that can then predict how well someone might adjust. But, you know, the single biggest factor is going to be how good is the player. And if the player is, has got talent, and, you know, the other thing is players who don't work hard tend not to do well in MLS. And, and we knew that Ladero was one of the greatest runners in the entire Argentine first division. So um, if you work hard, you have good technique, um, you have some of these other qualities and characteristics. Um, you know, we like that Ladero had won, I think he won six different championships in four different countries, you know, so we thought he had that good character too. You know, there's a bunch of different things to point to to say, hey, we think this guy uh, might succeed. So, I mean, that kind of leads me to ask, what have you figured out about this league with all of its crazy rules that not everyone else has? I, honestly, honestly, man, I don't think I've figured out anything in particular. We, we have different levels of resources. There are more resources in Seattle than there are in Salt Lake. That's just a fact. And, you know, I think that, again, you, you go through processes and, and, you know, here in Seattle and we have a bunch of really smart people and if you're able to harness all of their input, you can have a data side of an acquisition, um, you can have a scouting side of an acquisition, you can have a resume side of an acquisition, you can have a character mentality side of the acquisition. And, you know, to the extent maybe that I have a skill set, it's, again, as a, as a lawyer, it's taking lots of different types of information and assimilating them and kind of making some conclusions from that. Um, so I don't think it's any mastery of the system. I mean, I'm sure if you call the guys in the league office, they'll tell, they'll tell you I'm just as annoying as anybody else saying, hey, can we do this? Can we do that? I can't remember what that rule is. So it's, it's a detailed you know, uh, system with enough minutia that uh, you know, I feel like you can, you, to some degree, you can never master it. Um, you know, but certainly I'm familiar with it after after nine years of working in it, and then you know get we get lots of help from the league office, and, and they're helpful in putting together transactions, and, and a lot of it then is just going out there and again going through a process and using a lot of the good information that we have here in Seattle. Now I want to go back in time for a second. During the 1996 MLS season, you were the Kansas City goalkeeper, and I was a fan behind the goal watching games that season. I don't know if you had. Uh, the cornrows or dreadlocks that year, but I should remember that. But then I started writing a soccer column at SI around 2000 on MLS, and I did a weekly survey question where I asked an email list of around three players from every MLS team, and the teams had given me these players. And every week I would get an answer from you that was often long and usually hilarious and occasionally 
completely overwritten, but it was still awesome. And so I gave you a weekly department in my column called the Garth Lagerway Quote of the Week. And then when I went on vacation that year, you literally took over my column. What are your recollections of all that? I, you know, without Grant Wall, I would be nothing. I, I, I would never have made it. And look, I, I, we say that, we joke because we've known each other a long time. But the reality is that, that writing, and I, I did, definitely did not know that at the time, but I you know, was having some fun. And I was a backup goalkeeper. I had a lot of time on my hands. Uh, and I enjoyed, you know, the, some of the back and forth that we had. And, uh, you know, but people read that stuff, and, and at least people in media read it. And that led me to get my first opportunity on TV after I quit playing and that opportunity in TV really allowed me to stay relevant and, and be on the radar for Dave Checkets when he eventually offered me the, the GM job in, in Real Salt Lake. So uh, it's a long and winding path, but it's, you know, to people who are now get asked, how do you become a GM? And, uh, you know, there is no path. There's no way to do it. There's no set of things that you can do and say, if you just do these things, then you're going to be a GM. But that column was a ton of fun. I, I, I still get asked about things I wrote uh, there. And as you said, it's it's not the best written stuff maybe in the history <laughs> of the world. Uh, and it's probably a little silly and probably a lot immature. But, you know, we were living in southern southern uh, Florida in, uh, in in your mid-20s. And so I think as, as a snapshot of kind of, uh, you know, what life was like as a pro athlete at that time, you know, I think it's a, it, there's a little bit of window there. And, and, you know, I like to think the league has uh, gotten a lot better and grown a lot probably since that time as well. Well, your final MLS season was with the Miami Fusion, uh, with Ray Hudson as the coach, at least for part of that season. Uh, any great memories, any particular stories that you remember from that time? I mean, just, you know, you're in this surreal world where you, know, you were literally living at the beach. And, you know, and I guess this is what it's like to be a member of the LA Galaxy, too. But back then, that was new for me. And, you know, you'd go to training and you'd go to the beach and, and uh, you know, you had to be careful not to you know be out there too much you know in the days before the game and stuff, but you know Ray ran a pretty uh, loose player friendly ship, and Doug Hamilton was our general manager, and, and he was a guy who would also coach me in college, and obviously tragically passed away a couple of years after that. But I learned a ton of stuff actually from from Doug, uh, and I certainly credit him with kind of first you know getting me interested or curious in being a general manager in the processes and and, and the kind of things that went on as part of that. So. Had a pretty good initial role model in him, uh, but definitely also, you know, look had a had a roommate and, and didn't pay much rent and lived close to the water and, and had a lot of fun and, and uh, you know it's crazy to look back and say that when I, I played five years in the league and at no point did I have a full time goalkeeper coach, um, at no point did we have full time uh, nutrition or sports science person or strength and nutrition, uh, strength and uh, fitness person. So you know just in terms of a pure resources perspective, how far the league has come. It's really, it's really fun to look back at. Well, my memories of those days were of you being this zany guy, a smart, offbeat Duke grad who was famous for doing the 100 beer weekend back during your college days. When did you become a serious guy? I met my wife when I was 33. And, uh, you know, it, uh, she kind of showed me a different way. And, and uh, no, I mean, I mean, look, you're a kid. You're, if any, anybody who plays pro sports, or at least plays pro sports and as single as I was and was living in, you know, in Dallas and then in Miami, you know, it's not the real world. I mean, you're, you're at some level, you are having fun. And, you know, when you go up to Georgetown for law school uh, at 28 years old, that was definitely a shock to the system. Um, and I remember, you know, my first day of law school, uh, opening textbook, a text that I had to read and, uh, and falling asleep. 
<laughs> and it was it was because it, I just it was my brain and all, everything I had done was trained for 90 minutes of like really really high level exertion and so I couldn't focus for like three or four hours at a time I had to retrain my brain as to how to do it and it was like this like the lot the alarm bells went off and I was like you know can I do this like is this how like is this going to keep happening like is this like getting fit for preseason like I can and you know turns out it is like you can actually you know retrain yourself and uh, to focus for longer periods of time with you know maybe less intensity than a match or a training session and uh, you know that was you know that process though was really you know started the grow up and uh, you know you get through law school and then you got to go to the law firm and you know we joke but we called it you know living the dream when you're sleeping on the floor of your office and, and working 100 hour weeks and, and for a corporate law firm and you know you recognize that this whole thing hopefully is a means to an end and, and maybe one day you get to do something cool like work in sports again and you know, but that certainly all of that was a growing up experience. It was a sobering experience, and it was, uh, but it was a really good period of my life in, in the sense that I, I really feel like that's where I got the training that I needed, you know, to eventually realize my potential. And you know, as, as a goalkeeper, I was always okay, and I was I was a backup for most of my career, you know. But I like to think as a general manager, I've done all right, and, and maybe tapped into a couple of different things that I'm pretty good at. The one thing I'm bummed about is that you've been so successful in the MLS jobs that we don't have you doing full-time media stuff because I enjoyed your television commentary. The phrase sweet creamery butter became your signature line. And I'm wondering, how do you come up with a signature line like that? Did you actually sort of stand in front of the mirror and try out different lines? How did you come up with this one? Hey, that one literally sits from a, a, a random movie called Beer Fest that I saw. I thought it was a <laughs> awesome crazy phrase and I was like I'm using this and you know again you, you worked with me you know that this stuff jumps out of me and, and I took it and I ran with it and, and then I used it in the game and everyone's like oh my gosh that's funny and I'm like and I'm sure half those people or probably many of them had, had never seen the movie and wouldn't have thought the line was funny but in the context you know I think I used it after a goal scored uh, for United uh, and you know it caught on and you know once something catches on then you know any media announcer worth his salt uh, will recycle it so I did <laughs> so while you were a TV guy this GM job comes open at Rail Salt Lake and I know you had gotten serious about being a lawyer going to law school and, and doing the 100 hours a week but even then it struck me as an unlikely choice for you to become the Salt Lake GM. How exactly did you end up getting that job? It's an interesting story. I uh, was approached by a partner at my law firm, uh, not by a partner, actually approached by an associate, but and he said, hey, do you want to work on Christmas? And I, you know, like any dutiful you know, young associate at a, at a big firm said, of course, why would I want to see my family for such an insignificant holiday? Uh, <laughs> and uh, so I and they wouldn't tell me what I was going to do until I uh, had accepted. Uh, you know, we work over Christmas, and uh, it turned out that uh, the deal we were on is our, our client was buying a piece of the St. Louis Blues NHL hockey team, uh, and the guy who was selling on the other side was Dave Jackets, uh, and who at the time owned Real Salt Lake and the Blues. And so the, the deal took six months to close, and in that window. Uh, Salt Lake fired uh, their head coach and appointed Jason Christ and fired their GM. And, you know, when we were able to reach a successful conclusion on the Blues deal, uh, the Mr. Checkets said, I have no doubt with some crowding probably from, uh, from Jason, who was my longtime friend and my colleague, both from uh, the Dallas Burn and uh, Duke University and going back to our teenage years. 
and you know he gave me an interview and uh, it was it was funny I was such a long shot candidate that uh, the first interview was actually at his vacation house in Sun Valley Idaho because he didn't want anybody seeing him meet me in, in Salt Lake City lest the you know he be uh, accused of uh, hiring a, a below market candidate so um, you know fortunately for me I was able to win him over and and look, if he, I will, I will lay down train tracks to this day for Dave Checkins because he gave me a chance, and there definitely no one else would have, you know. And, and uh, so that was, it was a really cool opportunity. And, and both me and Jason were really young, and we were both really hungry, and both in this, you know, out in Utah in this small market where, um, you know, he had at least played. I spent all of one day uh, in Utah before calling a game and, and staying overnight at Jason's house, and uh, you know, it was, it was crazy. And, and the people at the law firm thought I was crazy and, and uh, you know the the other story that's kind of funny out of it is, is uh, I got called in I'm, I'm in the process of, of basically being offered the job at Salt Lake and the managing partner of the whole firm calls me in uh, to his office I'm like oh man I'm, I'm in trouble I'm not I'm not doing good work I'm not keeping up or whatever and he calls me in his office and, and and I say you know hey what's going on and you know he's like well you know what you know what's up with you i hear you you know you may be getting this job off or whatever and, and i said yeah you know like i think they want to offer me the general manager job and he's like oh you mean general counsel and i'm like no no like general manager <laughs> and he's like you mean like manage the salary cap and stuff like that and he's not a soccer guy but he's like you know he knows what a, a gm is and you know and i'm like yeah no like i think like pick the players manage salary cap like yeah like be a gm and he's like you're kidding me <laughs> and, and i'm i'm still not sure like is he pissed is, is he happy is he speechless like is he just like what a horrible decision these people have made thank goodness you're leaving and he looks at me and he says well look i'll make you a deal you know stay with the firm while you're while you're doing this i would like to personally negotiate your contract on your behalf and and if you let me do that i'd appreciate it if you'd be willing to come back after you left and talk to some of our summer interns and maybe we use you in some recruiting literature going forward and it was like this hallelujah moment where I was like, seriously, like the managing partner of the firm just thinks this is cool that I'm leaving. <laughs> and, and honestly, like it's informed, like, like everyone else who's ever worked for me, I bet, you know, I, I've always tried to be pretty empowering and pretty fair on because he was just, it was so neat to this guy who was so powerful and could have crushed me instead and, you know, raised me up and said, how do I help and how do I be part of this? And, and I'm still in touch with him. And, and he, you know, just, it was a cool place to work and it was, it was a cool place to get trained. And it was, uh, it was a really, really good experience, and, and have that experience outside of soccer, I think, has been invaluable in some in terms of some perspectives that I have. And and look, you know what, Grant, I meant to come back to this that you, you said what was the you know one of the keys to success. The other thing that I think I've done pretty well, or has gone pretty well, is I you know I believe in working together and collaborating. And, and I've worked with four head coaches now. I've worked, I've worked for four four different owners now. You know, and you know throughout have been you know, pretty consistently successful. And you know, that is a source of great pride with me that I, I, I don't think I come in anywhere and say, it has to be this way. And, and you know, I'm not interested in your input, but that I, I, think, I think one of the keys is having a good collaboration between front office and head coach. Uh, and I think we've been able to find that uh, in the places I've been. Yeah, what are your memories of working with Jason Kreiss in Salt Lake? Because here's a guy who you were a roommate with in college, as you said, you knew even before that you had played with him in MLS. How did that relationship work and, and how did it make you guys better, not just individually, but as a team? 
it, technically, we were not roommates in college. He, uh, we lived in the same dorm, but he lived just down the hall from me, right, actually right around the corner from me. The, the time where we lived in the same place was I actually went and lived with his family in New Orleans in the summer of 1994. Uh, and we played for the New Orleans Riverboat Gamblers, and we shared his living room, his, parent, his, his family house's living room together. Uh, <laughs> and, I, and I interned at his mother's law firm uh, as part of my public policy degree from Duke. So, nice. Crazy, crazy story, crazy summer, driving to World Cup games in between uh, Riverboat Gamblers games and, and living in New Orleans pre-Katrina, it was, it, was, uh, it was crazy. But in terms of working together with Jay and, and you know, obviously I wouldn't say growing up with him, but knowing him for a long time. I mean, it, it's, it, you know, he's really, really smart and really talented. And it was, you know, to go to Salt Lake together was really fun because, uh, you know, Dave Check has told us a couple of things. And one of them was, uh, you know, don't ever pretend like you know what you're doing. You know, and that may sound insulting but it wasn't it was super empowering because because as a young guy like you know we we didn't know what we were doing and and it was like it, it was and you know we were we both thought we you know we were young and hungry and smart we had some ideas yada yada but like we didn't have experience neither one of us did you know so what that did was it empowered a culture where we could ask questions and dave was this longtime sports executive um you know was the youngest general manager in nba history with the jazz went and ran the Knicks and then eventually the Knicks and the Rangers and, and uh, I think the Opera House across the street, something like that, but all of MSG. And, you know, you had this legendary sports executive and to be able to learn from him uh, and be empowered to, by him saying, don't pretend you know what you're talking about, was awesome. And then, so like you'd encounter something and you'd, you'd say, you know, I'm not sure on this one, let's call Dave. And he'd give, you know, he'd give it his advice and his advice was not soccer specific, but it was industry specific. And again, I think it's some of that kind of cross-disciplinary knowledge. You know, Jason's got a psychology background. I got more of a liberal arts background. You know, we could pull these things out of not just soccer background, but out of uh, some other different compartments. And it was really cool to put them together and work together. And it's, you know, excited to see him in Orlando. And he, he brought uh, Miles and CJ down with him. And, you know, those guys are all awesome guys. We have to always got to work together for a while in Salt Lake. And, you know, really excited and happy to see what I know is going to be their future success down in Orlando. Well, we've seen three important parts of Salt Lake's glory years. You, Jason Kreis, Bill Manning moved to other MLS teams with the departure of Dave Checkets once he was no longer the owner in Salt Lake. Now, you and Manning, who you now he's now with Toronto, you're in this MLS Cup final. Are you in any way disappointed that the band got broken up in Salt Lake? Or was that just something that was going to happen eventually? I don't know if it was going to happen eventually. I, you know, I think, you know, it, we're two years removed from me leaving, three years from Jason leaving, um, a little bit less since Bill left. But, you know, I think all of us have gone on uh, other places and are, are happy where we are. And certainly Bill's had a ton of success with Toronto already, uh, and no surprise. And, you know, I, I think everybody kind of moves and every, everyone's career kind of takes different directions and branches out. And, we had a ton of fun working together. You know, I've been talking with Bill this week uh, in terms of us going out to Toronto. It'd be great to see him again. And we had a really good time in Salt Lake, and we had a really good culture. And one of the things that we got right there was um, the emphasis that we, we put on soccer. Everything we did was about winning soccer games. And we knew that we were small, we didn't have as many resources, and we had to be super efficient, and we couldn't be wasteful, and we couldn't make a lot of mistakes. And, you know, but we did it. We, we had the, the business pull in the exact same direction as the soccer team. And we had the resources going toward uh, the soccer team. And, and you know, that's the, that's the formula you have to have, I think, in any successful organization. It's what we have here in Seattle as well. And, but to set that foundation kind of together and collectively, there was a lot of 
ownership for all three of us there. And, and, and again, really enjoyed our time. Um, and, you know, at the same time, really grateful for the opportunity that I've gotten in Seattle. And I've really enjoyed coming to a bigger place uh, and a bigger market and a team that's got a little bit more uh, national relevance. And, you know, now I'm far less a, a creator or a one-man band, you know, or part of three. You're very much more a part of a whole. Uh, and it's a different challenge. But it's, but it's a lot of fun. And it's, you know, there's, there's been a lot more work that's come before me here. Which you know, you, you kind of put you in this role of steward. Uh, you know, can you steward the collective toward uh, some of the things that they haven't been able to win yet, and can you sustain that success? We're talking to Garth Lagerway, the GM and president of soccer for the Seattle Sounders, who will be in this Saturday's MLS Cup final. Just about to wrap up, Garth. Really appreciate you taking this much time. But I want to ask you kind of about big picture stuff in MLS because. You're somebody that I am always interested in your thoughts on the league as a whole. What are the next big things in MLS in your mind, the most important things as, as this league moves maybe into its next era? I think we've begun developing players. Jordan Morris, DeAndre Yedlin coming here out of Seattle Sounders. You know, you're seeing players uh, come in and, and join teams. You know, uh, Justin Glad, Jordan Allen, uh, some others, Carlos Sosedo. Uh, with Salt Lake, who's now moved to Chivas, Guadalajara, and then to Fiorentina. So, you know, that pipeline of players coming through uh, to teams is going to make teams better. It's going to raise the quality of the league, and it's going to raise the quality of the national team. You know, I'm hopeful we can become even more competitive on the academy level. Um, You know, maybe something like an an MLS-based academy league, which will sit uh, maybe a tier above the existing academy league and um, really get competitive games for all of our teams on a regular basis. I think that's would be a great next step. And then as that academy improves, you can improve the USL teams. Um, hopefully we're able to liberalize some, some rules in terms of moving players up and down from the first team to the second team. Uh, I'm sure that'll come in time. But I think that's what the future is. It's, it's investing from the bottom and, and the ownership here is, and the ownership everywhere in the league has made a massive investment in player development. That's going to pay off down the road. And look, uh, we're now getting massive, massive players like Giovinco and like Ladero, and we're going to get more of them. And, you know, I'm really interested to see what the LA Galaxy do and will they you know, sign another 35-year-old player or will they try to sign a, a 25 or 30-year-old player? And you know, it, it's. I think that there's there's really good energy and dynamism in the league right now. And um, you know, when you as you've grown to 22 teams next year, you have so many smart people in the league now. Um, so many people that have kind of their own take on things, the only direction they want to take it. And I think the better, uh, the more we can free those people up um, to come up with individual solutions and kind of look at each individual team as an incubator of ideas. Uh, and then if we all do this thing a little bit differently, we might we might uh, wind up with a better collective model. I think. That is, those are the kinds of things that empower it. You know, it, it's that, and, and look, I mean, brass tacks, more people watch it on TV. More people watch on TV, that's the, that's the way to generating more revenue, uh, which will allow us to buy even better players as you buy, you know, and it's a chicken and egg thing, and as you buy better players, uh, in turn, probably more people watch. And, you know, I feel like we've nailed the attendance piece. Uh, we're doing pretty well as a league there in terms of growing attendance, but we still need to work on our television ratings. and. Um, you know, you see progress, and, and certainly the really positive impetus in the last couple of years on TV has been the international packages that they've set up all over the world. Everywhere I go now, everywhere you scout, people know MLS. Uh, players are watching MLS, and it, might, it may sound like a little thing, but um, just having MLS as part of the soccer dialogue in different countries, it may not be the, the, the league of choice everywhere, 
or maybe it's the secondary league in a lot of places, you get a lot more hits in terms of players knowing what MLS is, people knowing who the Seattle Sounders are. Uh, and I give the league office a lot of credit for their, their innovation and the ownership a lot of credit for their innovation in, in, uh, in terms of pursuing deals like that. And if you were MLS commissioner for a day, what are a couple of changes you would make? You know, that is that is above my pay grade, Mr. Wall. Uh, <laughs> Duck on the question. I, uh, I, I think that uh, the commissioner does an awesome job. Got to see him in uh, Colorado. Uh, and, you know, the one, the one thing I would say is that I, I think that there is a role for general managers to play in the process. And, uh, you know, that's not surprising coming from someone in my chair. Um, you know, but, the, you know, the commissioner uh, gets to meet with, with lots of owners. And certainly that is where he, his time is correctly spent. But I think that a, a role, a meaningful role for someone who's a, who's a general manager might be something that would be, you know, would provide a different perspective. And I say that, and, and Adrian Hanauer, who is a longtime general manager here in Seattle, obviously serves on some of those committees, and, and that's the guy I work for. And he's probably sick of hearing me say what I think uh, should and shouldn't happen in the league. So uh, it's, not, it's not that the, the commissioner lacks that perspective. It's, it's just uh, the more engaged we can be, I think, top to bottom, uh, maybe the more perspectives, again, that we'll gather and... and uh, that diversity of views, I think, is helpful in any process. Well, Garth Lagerway, pleasure to talk to you as always. Good luck in the final, and thanks for joining the podcast. Awesome. Thanks for having me, man. Thanks for listening to the Planet Football Podcast. I'd like to thank Garth Lagerway, as well as everyone at Digital Media and Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Thanks also to our sponsor, Mac Weldon. If you enjoyed this episode, there are other great new and archive episodes you can check out, including my recent interviews with Bruce Arena, Juan Carlos Osorio, David Villa, and Gary Lineker. You can subscribe to and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network? The number one daily sports podcast network. Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.